So Joel chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste, nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops, like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors, they scale walls like soldiers, they all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other, each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defences without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city, they run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves, they enter through the windows. Before them the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar, and let them say, Spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Great, thanks, Katie. Now, um, about 25 years ago, um, I think it would be, I was leading a sailing venture for teenagers, which used to take place on Chichester Harbour. And at the time, I was a vicar in Lowestoft. And uh, for the leaders' training weekend, we decided there was nothing better than to get the leaders down on site for what was actually just, frankly, a weekend of sailing together. And uh, anyway, we had a great time. And uh, on the way back... I was driving home, back up the A12 to Lowestoft to be there in time for the evening service. And in those days, we had a Renault Savannah, which we had christened the Long Green Smoke Machine, for obvious reasons, a good old French diesel. Now, when you got the A12, when you get to Ipswich, you arrive at a roundabout. As I went round the roundabout, 
every warning light on the dashboard came on. Every warning light. And I thought, this is slightly strange. And uh, then when, I, when we'd gone round and round about, I was on my own, but so when I'd gone round and round about and then got onto uh, the A14 there, um, uh, it seemed fine. So I carried on, got to the top of, of the Orwell Bridge. Now, if you were on 4 Mark 1, um, uh, it's very near where 4 Mark happened this year. A huge, whopping, great big bridge. Got to the top of the Orwell Bridge. Every warning light came on again, and then there was this rather loud knocking noise from the engine. Big trouble. It needed a new engine. Thirteen months old. Strangely, I've never bought another Renault, but uh, there we are. Um, Now, why do I tell you this? Because when all the warning lights come on, you've got to take notice. And in Joel chapter 2, and verses 1 to 17... All the warning lights have come on. So let's pray. Father, please help us to rightly understand this passage. To take it to heart. And to do what we need to do, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the whole book of Joel is a warning. And Joel chapter 2 is really the the core of this warning and what God's people must do in response. The trouble is, it is written to God's people. It's for us. And God's people were not walking with their God. They've they kind of just drifted away from him here. And he sends, he sends them a very bleak and a very stark and a very serious and a very urgent warning. Uh, in the shape of an unprecedented, devastating, natural disaster. In fact, a plague of locusts. And those things happen. Occasionally we see them in the news. Places like East Africa, Pakistan... Uh, the Horn of Africa, Uh, they get these huge plagues of locusts from time to time. Uh, And they are a warning, and they're saying here, which is the thing we want to say today, uh, oops, uh, return to the Lord your God. God, in his kindness, in his kindness, yes, and in his mercy and compassion, sends a severe warning to his people to say, return to me. It has to be a severe warning, because otherwise there's, there's frankly yeah, very little chance that they're going to listen. Because people, Christian people even, are naturally pretty hard-hearted, sit in our ways, walking away from God. But God in his kindness and his love and his mercy does sometimes send warnings to us. Return to the Lord. And this is first and foremost something which applies to us as God's people. So have we drifted? Maybe during the the pandemic. I mean, for all of us, our Christian lives go up and down, so this would be something for us to address from time to time in life, just to say, well, how am I doing? Kind of like an MOT kind of thing. So how is your spiritual life at the moment? I mean, during the pandemic, it's been really quite easy to drift, hasn't it? Um, And as we return to at least some degree of normality, uh, we want to be, I think, saying, well, where am I now? What is my Christian life like now? 
How am I really doing? Do I need to get back on track? Am I happy to be still at home? Sometimes there are very good reasons to be still at home. Sometimes they're not so good, are they? Lovely to see so many folks here that gathered now. And we're praying that actually for all of us who can get here, we're going to keep on doing the live stream, certainly in the morning, but for all who can get here, would be able to be here. So the first thing we want to say, um, uh, listen to the warning. And uh, that's in verses 1 to 11. Now, we're talking about a real plague of locusts here, and he calls it the day of the Lord. So just a word of explanation about the day of the Lord, because um, it's as if you could say the day of the Lord, but without the capitals, uh, when there are things like, for instance, then, a plague of locusts. And then uh, later, we don't know exactly when Joel was writing, but uh, we think he may have been referring to the, the locusts or a picture of an invading army, which could have been the Assyrians, 8th century BC, or the Babylonians, the uh, 600s BC, or uh, around about 600, 500 and something or other. 589, 587 BC, the Babylonian folks. So that would be another day of the Lord. But also there is the day of the Lord, as in big capital letters, in bold and underlined, actually, the day of the Lord, which is, of course, talking about the one day when Jesus will return. And therefore a warning about that as well. So listen to the warning. Um, so there's a plague of locusts here, but it's also a picture it's a picture of a vast and overwhelming military invasion. But learn from the plague of locusts. He's saying, change your ways. Or an invasion is coming, a military invasion. Now, they didn't learn from the locusts. They were invaded. God is true to his word. And let that be a, a lesson, a warning to us as well. You see, because the locusts here are a, are a picture of, of worse to come. Perhaps much worse to come. And let's be clear here uh, at some of these details, because these, uh, these locusts, they're, uh, they're scary. I, I guess it could be you've experienced a locust plague. I haven't. I used to be a teacher. I used to teach teenagers about locusts swarms and so on but apparently they're really quite scary the alarm in verse 1 so sound the alarm um, it's, uh, uh, it was great to have those different alarms there uh, the one that's talked about here is a ram's horn most likely and, uh, uh, and the locust swarms they were like a dark cloud there are so many of them millions upon millions of locusts look in verse 2 and they're actually quite noisy you know if you put dry twigs on, say, a bonfire, and it, or if you're burning holly after Christmas, you put it on an open fire and it just crackles. Well, that's the sound of a locust that he's talking about here. So you look at, um, look at verse 3, for instance. Before them fire devours, behind them flame blazes. Uh, before them, the land's like the Garden of Eden, perfect. After them, behind them, a desert waste, nothing escapes them. Um, uh, with noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops, verse 5. Like the crackling fire consuming stubble. Can you hear that now? That's what it was like. And, uh, and in a bizarre kind of way, locust swarms seem to be organised. So they don't, they don't seem to get in each other's way. 
So you look at verse 4 or look at verse 8. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through the fences without breaking ranks. And they can get into buildings. Just look at verse 9 there. You know, you're, 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 you're there sitting at home and suddenly there's, there's a thousand of them in your living room kind of thing. And they blot out the moon and the sun and the stars in verse 10 and they destroy all the vegetation. Forget your harvest. This is devastation. It's a warning of worse to come. And yet it is actually there for God's kindness, actually. And he's saying to his people, return to the Lord your God. And if you want to get a a, a feel for the kind of scariness of this, then you want to try and read verses 3 to 9 here quickly. Um, In the original, it's it's like a... Kind of, it's, it's staccato, staccato poetry. Um, so take a deep breath and uh, look at verse 6. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walks like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through the fences without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall, and so on. That's the idea. There's a kind of panic going on here, isn't there? It's a scary warning, and it's a serious warning. It's a serious warning. So look at verses 10 and 11 there. It feels like a final crescendo. The Lord thunders, verse 11, at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty is the army that obeys his command. This is the Lord's doing. It is the day of the Lord. Look at verse, towards the end of verse 11 there. God's work, God's command, God's warning for his people and what we need to do is listen to it see the lengths that God went to here to get people to return to him so would God use what we would call natural disasters or even a global pandemic to send a warning to his people or even to the whole world today. Well, why not? Really, why not? I mean, God does in the Bible, doesn't he? Use terrible things to bring people to their senses. A world gone awry, a world trying to live without God. And the Lord in his mercy and his compassion would bring some horrible things and has done. Surely he might do that too today. Maybe he's using COVID to try and bring people to their senses. It was interesting, wasn't it? Around about the first month or six weeks, perhaps, of COVID, there was a genuine move and many people were thinking about, so what is this about? People were interested more in eternal things. I might die and that sort of thing. It's sobering, isn't it, that as it's gone on, The focus has been more on human ingenuity. Scientists have done a wonderful job in creating the vaccines. They're getting, rightly, the applause, like at Wimbledon, for instance. And we should be thankful to God for our scientists. But isn't it interesting that instead of turning to God, we've turned to our own ingenuity and ability. And that's what we're applauding. Surely both are required, aren't they? To turn to God. And to thank him for these very clever people who have done things like the vaccines and uh, the medical folks who have, um, who have really developed their ability to help those who have COVID and are in hospital.
What should we do in a global pandemic? Or in a climate catastrophe? Or at the next huge natural disaster? The Bible would say, listen to the warning and return. Listen to the warning and return. And that's the uh, return to God, because that is the second point here. And that's verses 12 to 17. When God sends a warning, our right response surely must be to listen and to act. And that means getting back to him, doesn't it? We've drifted our opportunity to get back to him. So, this is first written to God's people, and therefore the first application has to be to you and to me. God says, return. We have that relationship, a covenant-binding, loving relationship with each other. But if we've drifted, God isn't the one who's moved, is he? It's us. This is our opportunity to come back. So, how are you doing It's very easy to drift, actually, isn't it? Just slowly, imperceptibly. Uh, I've still got a a surf kayak. You might have uh, seen it in the garage there. And uh, uh, we took it on holiday this year, dodgy shoulders and so on, um, and didn't actually use it. We took it all the way to West Wales and never used it. But uh, when you've been on the... You're out on the the kayak and you've gone through the surf and you're out the back and so on. And... uh, um, uh, it's very easy to drift on the wind, the tide, the rips, and so on, and, uh, uh, and just end up a long, long way from where you thought you were. Uh, and uh, there was something in the news this, this, uh, this last few days, where apparently when Boris Johnson was up uh, on a stand-up paddleboard or something, or canoe or whatever it was in Scotland last year, he was in a similar situation. Uh, imperceptibly, and then you realise you're a long way from where you ought to be. Well, maybe this morning is a wake-up moment for you perhaps there's been a period of ill health or difficult mental health many of us have uh, suffered in those ways haven't we maybe we've not been able to get to church and, and wisely so during the pandemic perhaps there's a bereavement or a redundancy or struggles in a relationship or a mixture of all and more but it's just mean perhaps that we're not quite where we'd want to be return Come back, sort it out this morning. We'll have an opportunity when I finish speaking uh, to confess, to come back to God. Let's look at this in a little bit more detail. The first thing here uh, is it's personal. So you look in, in verses 12 to 14. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Your heart is singular. And in verses 12, 13, uh, there, look at verse uh, uh, 13, for instance, rend your heart and not your garments. That's your heart. Pardon me for pointing, but your heart, my heart. Okay? Um, and, uh, uh, and that is really important, that it's our hearts that we're talking about. Come, return. Jonathan Aitken was due to come and speak to us here in the building here in um, uh, April 2020, last year. Had to cancel because of the pandemic. We're hoping, though, he will be able to, uh, uh, to come sometime, uh, perhaps end of this year or perhaps more likely uh, during 
the um, A Passion for Life next year. He wrote this about his needs to return. To my eternal shame, I even got my wife and daughter to back me up with witness statements supporting my lie, but then my opponents ambushed me in the middle of the trial with clear documentary evidence that I had told a lie on oath. Perjury. My credibility as a witness was shattered. I had to withdraw from the libel case, and within 24 hours, my whole life was shattered too. The former cabinet minister had impaled himself on his own sword of truth with explosive and apocalyptic consequences. Some people have expressed surprise I'm still in one piece after being so torn to shreds in the onslaught of media vilification and castigation I received at the height of my dramas. A great deal of the criticism of me was vitriolic, some of it was vicious, and I deserved most of it. When these thunderbolts are raining in on me from all, were raining in on me from all directions, I turned to my Christian faith, imperfect though it was, and began to ponder more deeply than ever before on the great themes in the Gospels of love, penitence, redemption, and resurrection. Although I am sceptical of foxhole conversion, nevertheless, the time when I was at the nadir of my misfortunes was the time when I turned more humbly and penitently than ever towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And did you notice in verses 12 and 13 there, he's talking about your heart. Return to me with all your heart. Rend your heart. So it's not what you do on the outside. It's not even what you say. It's what's in here. What's right at the centre of us. And if we need to get back to God, it's got to be a heart's repentance. So heart's return. And not just joining in a prayer that we'll do later on. But it's got to be meant It's got to be from our hearts. Come back to God and mean it. That's verse 12, isn't it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. But it's not just personal. It's also corporate. I think this is quite significant. Um, you look at verses 15 to 17 there, and the, uh, uh, it's a gathering of people. It's a group of people. It's a corporate return. And uh, um, during the American Civil War, I won't read the whole thing because it's, uh, it's quite wordy, but uh, there was a declaration of national repentance. Here's part of it. We have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us and we have vainly imagined in the zeal of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. It behoves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, capital P, to confess confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness sometimes we just need to get together with the rest of God's people and get ourselves right with God maybe as a church 
You see the, see the imperatives here. Here's a group of God's people, verse 15, blow the trumpet, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children. Saying we get together. We bring people together and corporately we will get ourselves sorted out with God. Have you ever noticed actually we... Uh, we kind of do this pretty much every time we get together as God's people here that's why one of the strengths I believe the Anglican Church is to have a confession so that we can as God's people confess our sins to him and we're going to uh, do that at the end of the sermon in just uh, a couple of minutes or so we as God's people returning to him what a privilege and what a wonderful God and uh, have you noticed as well um, there's an urgency here now look at the end of verse 16 let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber I think that's saying this this is worth cancelling your wedding night for I think it's saying this is more important than your wedding night that can wait this can't so if we know we need to get right with God, if we know we've been drifting away, please don't wait. The devil would love you to wait. Maybe he's been whispering in your ear, even during the sermon. Oh, that's a bit strong. I'm going to see, you know, see what your friends like. Uh, think about it as well before you do anything. Uh, or you might be saying, there's no hurry, no hurry. Spiritual things are important, so take a week or two to consider it. Or maybe he's saying, well, you should pray about it first. This is important. Don't rush into it. Or there's always tomorrow or next week. Uh, or he's saying, well, you've got friends going around for lunch, so there are more important things just at the moment. No, there aren't. There really aren't, are there? There really aren't. It all sounds so plausible, and the devil's very good at taking a few grains of truth and mixing them in with, un with believable lies. And he knows. And actually we know, don't we? The longer we put it off, the less likely we are to do it. It's urgent. And then finally, just to say, we do it for God's sake. We do it for God's sake and for his glory. The end of verse 17 is just saying, all these people surrounding us, the reputation of God's people actually, in their minds and hearts, is really important. And what will honour God's name the most? For doing it for God's sake, is so that there will be a group of people here, there will be a group of people, as we might do this repeatedly in our own minds and hearts, is that people would know that with that group of people who meet in that building on Neville Avenue, there are people who really take their Christian life and their God seriously. So uh, this morning, return to the Lord your God, listen to the warning, and return personally, corporately, urgently, for God's sake.